Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Do you struggle with knowing exactly what you should be doing to move the needle forward in your business? And do you struggle with knowing what to focus on next? If so, if this sounds like you, I have two solutions for you. Number one is mastermind groups. There is so much power in getting people together and helping to solve each other's problems. At Eat Blog Talk, we have put together our own mastermind groups and we are hosting these weekly. You can join at any time. You can try it out for a month or you can sign up for a quarter or you can go all in and sign up for an entire year. Come join us. See if it's a great fit for you. And this will really help you to solve those problems you're having in your business and give you clarity about what you should be doing next to move your business forward. The next solution is the Eat Blog Talk membership. I have spent all of 2021 so far putting so much value inside of the membership. It is such a supportive and wonderful place to be for food bloggers. We are learning so much from each other. We are joining together in monthly intensive calls where we focus on very specific parts of food blogging in order to grow our businesses in massive ways. We also have guest experts come in and join us very regularly to talk about really specific parts of food blogging. And we get one-on-one access to these experts, such as Matt Mullen from Email Crush, Casey Marquis from MediaWise. So many great people are joining us in these sessions and they are super valuable. There are so many reasons why you should be in the membership. I could not even start touching on all of it. If you're tired of wandering around aimlessly in your business and not knowing what to focus on, Give the membership a try for free for two weeks. Go to eatblogtalk.com. You can sign up for the masterminds there, and you can also start the process of getting into the membership for two weeks just to check it out. The rest of us can't wait to see you inside. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity that will help you find greater success in your business. Today, I'm so excited. I have Sally Eckes with me from the Lisa Eckes Group, and we are going to have a discussion about Cookbook Publishing 101. Sally is the co-owner of the full-service culinary agency, the Lisa Eckes Group. She represents a wide range of culinary, health, wellness, and lifestyle talent, from first-time cookbook authors to seasoned chefs, professional food writers to bloggers, and internet and YouTube personalities. From concept to contract, she has brokered more than 150 book deals with many of the top U.S. publishers. Sally, I'm super excited to talk about cookbooks and publishing with you, but first, we all want to hear your fun fact. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited for our conversation. Um, A little fun fact about me is that in my other life, I do improv comedy. So I'm on a main stage cast at, uh, and book lovers will appreciate this, I'm, I'm on a family show main stage cast at the Eric Carle Picture Book Museum here in Western Massachusetts. And I'm also on an adult team. Um, and we used to do Saturday night shows. And then 
eventually we will again. But yeah, improv comedy. That's so cool. Okay, so I've heard so many people say that if you're looking to finesse your speaking skills and just your your confidence when you're talking to or with people that improv is a great way to do that. Do you agree with that? That's exactly the reason that I sought out an improv intro course. And I was looking to hone my public speaking and just have a different relationship with, you know, public speaking nerves that a lot of people succumb to. And I found an intro to improv class and it completely changed my life. And I found my hobby and now I've gone through all the levels and I am performing, which I said I would never do. And it was it's just absolutely the surefire way to change your relationship to public speaking. So how long do you think it took before you were like, okay, yes, now I'm comfortable? Um, Well, I still ask myself, like, am I going out there tonight? Uh, Or am I going to raise my hand and ask this question? But um, I would say after like the first class and really learning the philosophy and principles of changing your relationship to fear and anxiety and, you know, just nerves and really... um, welcoming those feelings in new ways and having a different relationship, it immediately changed my perspective. And the the course and the class um, and the school that I went through is called Happier Valley Comedy. And it's, um, it's a really special place. <laughs> That's so cool. You just yeah. endorsed it for me. I'm sold. If we ever uh, start, you know, doing those sorts of things in person again. Yeah, well, I, I've actually um, present this is a random fun fact uh, that tangentially relates is that I presented at um, some food blogger conferences combining improv comedy skills and pertaining to like the the creative process for food bloggers and and changing the the comfort and the fun a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Well, I always hear you on Clubhouse talking and I always think, oh, my gosh, she's so well spoken and you enunciate and you're so clear with your words and you don't add those filler words that I do like um, and like and all of that. Sometimes so I do. Oh, <laughs> I have to throw those in once in a while. I have to say, like, since ha- hosting this podcast, I've gotten way, way better. But Oh my gosh, if you go back to some of my first episodes, oh, <laughs> it's rough. I I have improved my speaking by so much, but I imagine that improv would help even more. It's just a fun tool to have in your toolbox. And uh, one day, hopefully we'll get to do it in person together. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yes, that would be yeah. amazing. Well, you know everything about cookbook publishing, Sally. I've heard you talk on Clubhouse before and I was like, whoa, she knows literally everything. So we are all here today to learn from you. And as you know, many food bloggers, um, once they're in the food blogging realm for a little bit, they start getting intrigued by that idea of having their own cookbook in their hands. So I would love it if we just talked through a few things that we need to know to start. So I guess when it comes to traditionally publishing a cookbook, is it a smart idea to have an agent and maybe even talk us through what an agent actually is. Sure. Yeah. So for anybody and particularly for food bloggers, you know, if you're thinking about publishing and you're thinking about traditional publishing, um, an agent is somebody who is going to be your advocate and your sounding board. And an agent's job is to know the industry players. So know which editors at various publishing houses are looking for what types of cookbooks. Um, agents are one of the many gatekeepers in the publishing process, um, but they're going to be on your side and, and their job is to pitch your idea, sell it to publishers, know the industry standards so that you are getting the most fair and equitable contract, um, but then also help you along the way. And different agents will um, sort of support you at different 
points in the publishing journey. So one question to ask when you're talking with agents is to what level do they support you and your book past the sale? Um, but your agent is your sounding board and your advocate. And um, do you need one? It, it really depends on what your goals are and, and what sort of publishing process you are looking for. Um, in addition, I just also want to add that agents work on a commission. So it's not a fee-based relationship. An agent would review a book proposal, and we can talk about book proposals, of course. Um, and then should they sign you and represent you and your idea, they don't earn money. They don't earn their commission until they place your book and, and sell it to a publisher. And it's a 15% commission, one five. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess I didn't know that. Um, and that's attractive to food bloggers, especially food bloggers who are maybe newer in the game, because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of you know money just to be throwing around. So knowing that they get that later as a commission is really helpful. And they're your advocate. That's great to hear too, because you you never know, like you hear the word agent and I don't know, I don't know enough about cookbook agents to know, would they have my best interest in mind or would they have, you know, a publisher's interest in mind, but they do have our best interest in mind overall. Yes. Okay. Yes. So your agent works on your behalf to negotiate the best deal. And to me, the best deal is defined equal parts in like the money being offered and also the editorial fit. So is this somebody who really understands my client's vision and is going to help bring this book to fruition in the most successful way possible? That's what I consider the best deal. Really good book deal, but then also editorial fit. Um, And we work, we represent our clients. We are working on behalf of the author, not the publisher. And you said agents also kind of know what's going on as far as what hot topics might be um, emerging and what is a good idea for a cookbook Mm -hmm. and what maybe is not a good idea, what to steer clear from, right? Yeah. So, you know, our job is to know the industry trends and then also like what publishers are looking for. So think about there's the big five, although they're now um, continuing to, to merge together, but essentially there are five major publishers and then they're independent publishers and each publisher is its own brand. So if you look, if you take some favorite cookbooks off your cookbook shelf, look at the spine at, at the bottom, you'll see the, the publishing company. And in many cases, it's the imprint of that publishing company. And so my job is to know, you know, essentially, what is a 10 speed book versus a Clarkson Potter book? Those are sister imprints under the same umbrella of Penguin Random House. So my job as an agent is to know, not only is your concept sort of best for 10 speed versus Clarkson Potter, or um, um, Running Press, or Quirk, or um, Harper Collins, but also which editor at that publishing house is interested in your type of concept versus somebody who sits, you know, three desks down and is looking for a different type of cookbook author. So agents are deeply immersed within the world of publishers yeah. and um, cookbook, you know, everything relating to that. So you guys know what is a good fit for yeah. what author. Let the, the creative and recipe development you, you all get to do that. That's what you're brilliant at. And we get to, to know the ins and outs of who's looking for what. Gotcha. So talk about book proposals, because I know some cookbook authors who have put really extensive time into putting together huge book pr- proposals. And I know others who have not. So what are your thoughts on that? A book proposal is essentially the business plan for your concept. It's not just what is the book and who are you, but it's how are you going to promote it? What's the what's the concept and how is it going to settle 
into the rest of the larger cookbook conversation happening. Um, and a book proposal is one of the best ways to ensure the best book offer that you could get from a publisher. Um, I think it's really important to take the time to do a book proposal in a right, not rushed way. And that's a guiding principle at the Lisa Agus Group is right, not rushed. Take the time, do the proposal and do it to the best of your ability, because that's one of the best ways to secure, you know, those um, those elusive big six figure book advances. Right, not rushed. I like that little yeah. catchphrase. Right, not rushed. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And do you have like a length in mind or how do you go about even approaching that process? Because it seems to me like super overwhelming. Um, like how much work and words do you put into it? Yeah. So an- another saying that I, I relentlessly repeat is it depends. It really depends on um, who you are. So I've sold book proposals that are 20 pages long from soup to nuts. And then I've had book proposals that are 120 pages and everything in between. So it really depends on who you are and how you explain and show your vision for the concept. And then also, you know, marketing and promotion, audience, competition, bio, all those other sections too. So um, it, it really, it really depends. I would say if you can accomplish your full message and vision in less pages, that's great because the agents that you're pitching to, if you decide you want to work with an agent and subsequently the editors that then they're pitching to, everyone has limited time. So you want to try to to be succinct in what you're pitching. But generally speaking, I'd say most book proposals are anywhere from like 30 to 45, 50 pages on average. That's helpful. So it depends. I mean, we hear that phrase a lot in our world, like really so much depends on other factors. So you're saying that's the same with book proposals. And then how do we come up with an idea that we know is going to sell? So you mentioned that you guys have um, kind of some insights into that. Like, yes, that would be a great idea right now. It's a great season or no, it wouldn't be. But how else do we know whether our book ideas are saleable? So you want to think about is your book concept trend driven or not? And if it's trend driven, then the proposal and the pitch and the sale to a publisher has to come together fairly quickly because it takes about two years for the average book to hit the shelf. A trend-driven book would be an accelerated timeline. It might take a year, but still it's it's a it's a fast turnaround. So if your book is trend-driven and you want to know, you know, is this saleable? Um, you can take a look at places like large online retailers, which shall not be named to see how are these other books that are similar reviewed and, what is their what is their ranking? Um, and then you can also um, look at potential sales figures. And my homework to you in this space is to think about your point of differentiation in the competition or comparable titles category of your book proposal. So what you're really looking for is a list of other books that are similar enough and successful enough that have proven your category. And you're saying, okay, great. I want to write a book on quick and easy Instapot recipes for my family. I'm going to look at the comps out there. And then what is my unique point of differentiation and my twist? How am I going to add to this previously successful category um, in a new and different way? So, hey, publisher, you've already made this investment. I see it's doing well for you. Now I'm going to sort of add to that section of the bookshelf for you. So it's kind of like niching down, which we're super familiar yeah. with. So finding what's trendy or what's worked in the past and putting your own spin on it. And for 
food bloggers in particular, I think you're all very seasoned at being able to predict the trends that will be of interest to your readers on the internet, plan that out in your editorial calendar. So it's a similar type of thought process um, in looking out a little bit farther down the road for your potential book buying audience. And with food bloggers, you want to think about, sure, yes, captivating your audience and also capturing new eyes for you, your book, and your blog. What cookbook trends are currently really popular? Um, it also depends on the publisher, right? So there's publishers like um, those that shall not be named that do trend-based data research and approach bloggers directly. And they're like, hey, we have a category that we see picking up and we want you to crank out a bunch of recipes really quickly and publish a book in three months. Okay, that's one option. Um, but generally speaking, like the the more sustainable trends are a move towards deep cultural history, um, geographic and regional cuisines beyond um, broad strokes geography. So like specific types of Chinese cooking or Taiwanese cooking or um, different regions from Africa. Um, so we're really seeing this like, again, this niche down of deep interest in sense of place, and then of course, voice and, and rich storytelling. So that's one more general shift in the industry. And then, um, you know, from a strictly trend-based point of view, appliance books are always going to be cranking out new titles, uh, depending on what the hottest new appliance is. Instant Pot, are people still cranking out Instant Pot books? They are. I think the craze is definitely like leveled out a little bit. <laughs> There's only so many different types of Instant Pot books we could see. Um, but I do think that what that trend shows is a growing interest in the intersection of science and technology and cooking. And that in and of itself categorically is a shift that we're seeing as well. How do you feel about combining two appliances? So maybe doing a cookbook about like air fryer and Instant Pot or insert your appliance of choice. Is that a no-no or should we stick with one? Um, it depends. Like, is your blog built on that type of recipe development? Then that could absolutely make sense for you. Um, but if it feels like, you know, a stretch and, you know, you got to check in with your gut there, like, is this a means to an end to publish a book? Or does this really make sense for the recipes that my readers know and love and come back to me for? That finding the answer to that question, I think, is is what helps sort of point the author in that direction. What if a food blogger wants to write a cookbook and they have many ideas about potential topics? Does an agent help to sort through that and kind of help land on a topic? Um, most of the time, that wouldn't be the agent's role unless they offer like concept consultations, but you would want to pitch an agent formally with a fairly complete or comprehensive proposal. Um, that being said, one of the places that you could do self-directed work to try to figure out like, what is the idea that makes sense for me is to focus on the competition section of the proposal first. So again, like looking at what's out there and doing well that I can continue to build off categorically in my new and own different way. That's that's one way to help hone sort of the many different ideas that food bloggers and many creative people have uh, wrestling around in their in their brains. There's so many options. I mean, I know. even if I you know. have a really specific niche, I feel like a cookbook is a really big deal. It's a ton of work too. So, you know, another guiding principle at the agency is just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> You know, like uh, there, you're probably going to make more money off of your blog and advertising or an Instagram post or something else. So the book is really, it, it should be a, 
a goal that supports other aspects of your overall brand. How many bloggers turned cookbook authors do you know who raked in a ton of money by publishing a cookbook? Uh, not many. I, I have got I've got a lot of soundbite gems for you today, Megan. Um, my other my other soundbite gem is a book is a big, beautiful business card. It's not a retirement plan. Oh, that is a gem. Even the biggest book advances, you know, let's assume somebody's offered a six figure book advance. Maybe it's $100,000. Maybe it's $250,000. That's a great advance, right? But it's spread out and it's paid out over a long period of time. And those books don't often or don't always earn back their advances. And so it's one component of what's driving other elements of your business. And it's one piece of the pie that feeds into others. And so at no at no point does the cookbook alone warrant, okay, I'm going to give up my day job and I'm going to go, you know, retire on my yacht somewhere. Even the biggest book advances um, eventually get, you know, they, they, they get paid out and it's on to the next thing. A big business card. I love that because that is what it is for so many people. It's like a a source of pride. Like I put all of this together more than anything. I have a cookbook and that's what it is for me. I have not gotten rich from my cookbook by any means. So I was just um, hoping that I was not alone in that boat. So thank you for confirming that. Definitely not alone. And in fact, I think most people are in that boat with you and you're all sort of waving to shore like, wait, what about me? What about me? Um, And, you know, again, though, like, like any business card or calling card, it can open up other opportunities. So it's something to offer local media where maybe you go on and promote a brand that you have a partnership with that you really love and want to do a paid partnership on local media. Or maybe it offers something to get your foot in the door for speaking opportunities where you're paid a fee and you can either give books away or then sell books at a discount as part of the promotion and your speaker's fee. So it's, it's a tool that you can utilize and that can work with and for you in new and creative ways. It alone is not going to be the retirement plan. Oh, you said that so well. That was so well said. Seriously, I might pull that, that little clip out. You have all of these gems here, Sally. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, I love sharing this because the more people know, and particularly for food bloggers, the more empowered you can be to make the decision if and when it's right for you to do a book. Um, I use my cookbook to get on the news, my local news station, mm-hmm. which was terrifying, but it was <laughs> such a good experience for me because I I don't speak well on the spot, like when someone can see me. and You know, I've just never done well with that, but it really forced me to get better like talking about that whole improv thing mm-hmm. I had to do it like the kid the camera was blinking red and I was like okay so many people are watching you right now so you're like I have to pull this together and make this happen so that was just one of the little things that the good things that came out of having a cookbook and I actually got other opportunities that way because they were like oh cool it was really great having you here why don't you come back and talk about this so I went back and that never would have happened if I hadn't been promoting my book. So things do come from it. It's like a snowball effect. Like you are not in it to make money, but other little unexpected surprises do pop up, which is basically what you said way, way better than I did earlier. (laughs) No, that's such a good example. Um, I mean, local media often looks, looks for food and lifestyle content to fill segments. And so if you have a new book coming out, or even an old book, but you can deliver a two minute demo, great, they are going to love you for that. And then yes, they will come back to you and have you on time and time again. 
And that's part of building the relationship and the repertoire for, for, you know, the, the skills that you have as a food blogger, or writer, or author, or however someone sort of um, fulfills their identity that way. And I'm finding the more I get into food blogging, I mean, I've been doing this for a long, long time, but relationships are everything. The more you can build relationships, the more your business is going to scale. And there's no exception to that. Like building those relationships is key. It's not just about creating your content, making a cookbook. It's so important. Yeah, that's, I, I totally agree. No matter what industry, but, you know, particularly in the food and publishing space, um, it's one of the things I love about what we do and specifically like what I get to do is that matchmaking and really getting to know and love our clients in a way that I, I can confidently say like, yes, this editor who's really excited about your proposal is like genuinely into this. Like they've been asking for this for a while and I've been working with them in other capacities for however long. And it's like continuing to build that, that network on behalf of new authors and seasoned authors and, and the editors. I mean, it's, it's just one of the things I, I love about what we do. I love that you have um, connections in all different areas. So you know who's really good at what and you can do that matchmaking. Like, you know exactly who will be a good fit for the other, which is comforting for us to hear because we have no idea if we want to hire a photographer, for example. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't know, but you would probably know that like, oh yeah, this person would be a great fit for you, Megan, right? Yeah. Yeah. And specifically for food bloggers, the notion of like how photography is handled in your cookbook is nuanced. And oftentimes food bloggers have opinions about that. So expressing those up front and really being open to the collaboration process and also really clear about what your vision is for the book and who are the people and experts that can help execute your vision and bring it to life is is important to, to communicate in your proposal to an agent if you decide to work with one. And of course, to, to your publisher as well. I have a question about publishers who reach out directly to bloggers yes. and just, you know, without a book proposal, this is what happened to me. Yep. Um, they just say, hey, we love your content. Would you be willing and able and wanting to um, create a cookbook for us? Mm -hmm. So how do we sort through that? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so that happens quite a bit, particularly because if you're a food blogger doing a good job at what you do, you are searchable and your your recipes are coming up in a high ranking and you've got a brand and you're you know how to promote it. And so there are many publishers, although there's some sort of usual suspects, and I, I use that in a supportive way, that often approach bloggers directly and they're like, Hey, we found your content. Would you be interested in writing about an idea that we have in-house? Or have you thought about writing a book and do you have a proposal? Um some of these publishers have, and I would say most of the publishers that are notorious for approaching bloggers directly, have their model for how they offer book contracts and how they bring books to publication. So some are very trend-based and data-driven, which I had mentioned earlier, and others, um, maybe there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of the, the concept and the content. But generally speaking, they have a, a model for their advanced structure, their royalties, um, you know, first printing, what their books look and feel like. So one question to ask is, um, could you send me, as you're going down this conversation, you know, could you send me some sample books of other, you know, either bloggers or comps that you've published successfully and take a look at what those books look and feel like. Is this the type of book that you want? Um, or is it fitting a specific model for them, but not necessarily what is your goal for publishing? Uh, and then, of course, 
you know, what are their standard contract terms? And is there negotiation? There's always an opportunity to negotiate. What does that look like? It depends on who that publisher is and um, whether or not they operate a traditional publishing model, meaning advance and royalty, or if they are offering you a work for hire fee where you're paid a flat fee to create the content and then do not earn royalties on the books. And particularly for trend-based books, they're commissioning that concept because they have the research to show this is likely to sell well for us. And so you need to decide where I would encourage food bloggers to ask themselves, like, what is that magic number that I can afford to take time away from other aspects of my business to develop these new recipes, essentially being paid a flat fee, and then somebody else is earning the the royalties off those books. And it might make sense if that book is going to be a new brand calling card for you that you can leverage in other ways. But it's a question to ask and, and really reflect on. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought all of that up because you don't initially think of the investment that you are going to have to put into the book. And really, I mean, you are going to be paying to work. You're not going to make really that money. Um, maybe in other ways, like we were talking about earlier with, you know, opportunities and relationships, but not like directly with money. So it is something to consider. It's a lot of work. It it almost killed me. <laughs> it's, so, it's so much work. Yeah, it's so much work. And at the end of the day, it is just a book. And it is about maintaining that balance and, you know, uh, just finding the the balance of what's what's right for you and your brand and what somebody else is asking for. And so it's it's a matter of really taking the time to evaluate what is the timeline? What do I have to say no to in order to say yes to this? Is that a compromise I'm willing to make? Um, and, and what are your ultimate goals? And then a key question for some of the publishers that um, do this outreach also is who holds the copyright to the material? And that's a, that's a key question mm, as well. That's a great one too. Also preserve some energy for after the book is published because... Yeah. That's where I got really burnt out. And I was like, that was exhausting. And I'm kind of done. And the publisher that I worked with, um, they offered, I think it was like three months of PR help after. And then when Uh their three months was done, they were gone. And so it was like, I am completely on my own and I didn't know what to do. So I have basically ignored my cookbook for two years, sold like five copies since then. I mean, probably more than that, but... You know, it's like you, you need to be ready for that and to um, just save some of your time and energy for after and know that you may have to do some promoting yourself because I did not expect that. Yeah, I would say that that's a huge part of a book's success. And I, I think of a book's life in essentially three chapters. There's the first chapter, which is like concept development and the proposal. There's the second that's writing, delivering, working with your editor. And then the third whole next wave is the promotion, which is going to drive the success of the book. And it, it's a lot of energy. And again, identify what your goals are and make sure that that's, that's what makes sense for you. Um, And ask your publisher, you know, what is the level of publicity and marketing support that I can expect? And what can I do to set myself up to be the most successful author for you and for our book together? Mm, That's great advice too. So what about, you've mentioned advances a few times. How can we secure big book advances? And maybe just explain like what an advance is and how we kind of see that whole 
thing. Sure. So an advance is the money that a traditional publisher pays the author. It is guaranteed in that you never have to pay your advance back, even if your advance does not earn out. So let's say a publisher offers you $30,000. And I'm literally just pulling that out as an example. It's not that all books are $30,000. Let's say a publisher offers you $30,000 advance. It is paid out over a period of time. And depending on who the publisher is and what their payment schedule is, and if you have an agent who can often negotiate an improved payment schedule, although not always, that advance is paid out in parts to the author. So maybe it's $15,000 when you sign the contract and $15,000 when the manuscript is accepted, um, which is oftentimes a year later or longer after you sign up, sign your contract. So an advance is the money that a publisher pays you. It's your ad- advanced money to go off and develop the recipes, maybe shoot the photos. Um, very rarely does a book advance actually cover all of the expenses of your time, food expenses, and the photo shoot, but that's sort of a 2.0 conversation. <laughs> and the advance is guaranteed, and then there's a royalty structure that is outlined in your contract and at the negotiation stage of your deal that determines how many, how much you earn per book sold. And that amount gets earned back to you as the author, and you, you sort of tick up the advance amount in that you have to sell as X number of copies to earn back your $30,000 advance. And that's after the, and then after that point, you would earn additional money. Yeah. What, I mean, what is typical for a a brand new cookbook author? Is it a huge range? I mean, is there like a typical range that is offered as an advance? Um, It really depends. One way to secure a bigger advance is to do a great book proposal. I think that's like the most surefire way to secure those big six figure advances. Um, is to is to really knock it out of the park with the proposal. But first time authors, you know, it totally depends. Um, we we run workshops where we go through the financials of actual deals that we've done at the agency, and we walk people through, you know, what would be considered a small advance, medium, and then big. And it totally depends. They were first time authors. One of them was a second time author. Um, it, it really just all depends. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. So if there's somebody listening today, Sally, and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to create my first cookbook. This sounds intriguing. Do you have just like quick, actionable steps that they can take to move toward that process? Yeah, I would start with the bones of a book proposal and see, use the book proposal as a barometer for how your self-directed deadlines work and putting your ideas that are in your head down on paper. Um, and I would suggest starting with the overview and the bio in the proposal, because your bio is something that you already have either on your blog or available for speakers speaking that you pitch or whatever it might be, like cut and paste that bio and put it in a Word document, check that section is done and you're off and running. Um, I joke about this in the workshops that we run for cook, for people who want to write cookbooks, but I'm the type of type A person where I make a to-do list in the morning with things that I've already done just so I can cross them off and feel like I've started my day in a really productive way. Um, so I, I would approach the proposal the same way. You have your bio somewhere, copy and paste it into a Word document, and you're off and running. You've already started your book proposal. Then move to the competition section and take a look at what is on the market and ask yourself how and 
what are you saying and doing in your book that you're proposing that's different and new, building off a successful category. And once you've got your bio and once you've got your comp research done, then move on to what's my recipe list? How am I going to market and promote the book? Start developing some rest, some sample recipes and you can start chipping away at the other sections. But generally speaking, start with your bio, start with the comps and move on from there. And this really is going to make the rest of the process easier. If you have all of that information already compiled, I can imagine you're like, okay, great. I have all my recipe. Well, I'm sure things change, but I've got recipes listed out and it takes a little bit of weight off, right? If you have a solid book proposal, that's going to make the entire process easier. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And skip around, you know, be flexible and see how it feels. And if the book proposal task is the thing that is just looming on your to-do list and you just can't get to it, then you may not be, then I would say you're not ready to write a book because writing the book is also a tremendous time commitment, a lot of work. And if the book proposal is something that you're just not able to dedicate that time and energy to, great. Now, you know, it's not yet time to do a book. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that perspective too. Do you have resources that can help people go through the process of writing a book proposal? Yes, we have proposal guidelines on our website at lisaeckes.com. And that our proposal guidelines are incredibly comprehensive. It'll prompt you for what to answer in every section. And, um, you know, that's a guide that would be applicable for any cookbook agent that you would want to show your proposal to. They're, they're really thorough. So you can find them at lisaeckes.com. And then, um, of course, you can find me on social media and I can always send them to you as well. Is there anything else you feel like food bloggers should absolutely know before diving into this pro- this sort of project? Rather than absolutely know, I would just encourage food bloggers to ask yourself, you know, why do you want to write a cookbook? Is the content that you're pitching or proposing most appropriate for a book? Or are there other ways to package that content that makes sense for you and your brand? Mm. I like that. That's good to think through because it might be a completely different project, right? I mean, it could look totally differently just asking yourself that one question. Yeah. And if you land, if you land on, you know, a book is really what makes sense. Great. Start working on a proposal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. But talking through that, thinking through that is probably going to save you a lot of time if the answer is no. (laughs) This has been awesome. What a great conversation. And I'm sure this will stir up some um, just ideas for food bloggers, whether or not they want to move forward with this sort of project. So we really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise in all of this, Sally. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about something that I love, Megan. It's, it's been really fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, before you go, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? So I will share some words of inspiration that is originally from Lisa Eckes, our founder and my mother or who my mom boss, who I call my moss. And, um, you know, it's really nice to have a proposal that you know goes to auction and a lot of people are interested. But something that Lisa says that really resonates with us is that you only need one yes. And rejection is an inevitable part of the cookbook publishing process. And we really encourage people to hold on to, you only need one yes. Maybe two if you first sign with an agent and then a publisher. But generally speaking, um, you know, it's about finding that one person who really believes in you and the content you have to share and the voice in which you share it. 
So keep on trucking along. How am I going to select a great quote because you've thrown out so many gems, Sally? <laughs> um, okay, we'll put together a show notes, show notes page for you, Sally. So if anyone wants to go peek at those, you can find them at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Sally Eckes. Tell everyone where they can find you online. And also, Sally, tell everyone if they are interested in you know hiring you guys to help out on the agent side, how they sure. can do that. Yeah. So we offer consults and workshops for people who are not yet at the full proposal stage, but really looking for a deeper dive into how does publishing work or a hand-tailored, you know, what about my idea and how do I bring it to fruition? And you can find information on that and pretty much everything else that we offer, including media training, which I should mention, Megan, for everyone who's going on to their local media segment and not sure, you know, how to have that confidence and break down a recipe. We do media training, we do consulting, we offer um, book representation and talent representation. You can find that at lisaeckes.com. And then, of course, on social media, my name at Sally Eckes and then at the Lisa Eckes group. And I also moderate a Facebook group called How to Be a Cookbook Author. And I welcome everyone to join it. It's a place of sharing resources. You have access to me, an agent, but more so I, I try to provide industry updates, news, and connect people who are looking to, to network and make connections with content providers in the publishing and um, cookbook space. And you're occasionally sharing your knowledge on Clubhouse. So I... Yes, I'm, of course. Right. Yes. And on yeah. Clubhouse at Sally X. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Sally, for being here. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk. Oh, 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 oh,